Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? Comics and Pop Culture Podcast, coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I are back after a two-week absence to talk about what happened at San Diego Comic-Con this year, The Art of Charlie Chan Hak Chai by Sunny Liu, X-Men Grand Design, the latest piece on Marvel by friend of the podcast Brian Hibbs, plus discussions of Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, Manga Poverty by Sato Shuho, and much, much more. Show notes are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Leave us comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy. Thank you for listening. Jeff Laster! Graham... McMillan. <laughs> Did you forget my last name for a second? Yeah, no, no. He was working up the energy to get those last couple of syllables out of my uh, out of my mouth. How are you, sir? Oh man, it's been. Uh, I am in the middle of Portland heat wave. Oh, Jeff. No. As we record, oh, listeners, God. we're actually, we're recording unusually early this week. Uh, so we're actually recording mid last week as you listen to this, as opposed to normally recording Saturday before. Yeah. And so, as we're recording, it is literally the middle of the Portland heat wave that you've probably seen people complaining about on social media, because I've seen lots of people complaining about it today on social media. Uh, it is currently around, I think it's like 101, 102 degrees oh, outside. Jesus. Oh no. Oh. Graham. And, Supposed to be more. Tomorrow's supposed to be warmer. Uh, that's very. God. Well, interestingly enough, I'm being boiled alive in my office at work in the afternoons, uh, and so. And, Why? And, uh, well, because because I got moved from one office to another office. So my uh, my new office, while uh, we're undergoing um, construction is up on the 29th floor and it's got a lovely view and is super close to um, the station for people I supervise, which is great. But every afternoon starting at about two o'clock, um, it just goes crazily. It starts getting hotter and the sun just comes down. And even That's with me just, drawing you're, the curtain, you're in, you're in such a place that it's like the sun just comes in and it's like, and now I'm going to bake you. Yeah, basically. Even if you close the curtain, I close the curtains diligently, and it's—I guess I could start closing them earlier. But see, this is the thing, Graham. I know that is nothing next to what you're having to deal with because I've been upstairs in your house and know how abominably <laughs> hot it can get. Yeah, you've been upstairs in the house with like a normal temperature. You've never been upstairs when it's actually hot in Portland. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, well, I mean, I've been there when it's hot for Portland, but. 101 is insane. So, I mean, I've been it's there when it's been right? in the 80s. Yeah. So, that is yeah, not so good. that's that's fun, I yeah. guess. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. So, listeners, not only our t- our takes will not be hot, but the people offering them will be. Will be unfortunately a little too hot. So, but no, I I what I was going to say is I'm actually in the bedroom for once. Oh. Right, so an air conditioner oh. because up, like I couldn't even be upstairs, Jeff. That's what I was I, honestly thinking. Yeah. You would die. Like I really was yeah, worried. I, 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 I mean, I might not die, but I would definitely get quieter th- during the course of the podcast. Right. And then you'll be like, "Say goodbye," and I'd be like, "Help me! <laughs> help! Help me!" Actually, I just imagine this being the podcast where both of us like doze off. 
and it, it's just like eight to ten minutes of us like breathing quietly. But that, that's the funny thing is, oh, normally you do this on a Saturday, mm-hmm. and they were doing it like I only finished work like an hour and a bit ago, you know? Right, right. Me what, too. You probably the same, right? Yeah. Well, uh, I left work at five thirty, came home very quickly, ate dinner, and then turned this on. And the most insane thing of all that I don't even trust is. Uh, apparently there was no, we haven't recorded in, as you know, like a week and a half, not oh, a more, more than, more than that. Is it? Cause it would be yeah. two weeks. Oh, we, you're right. We two record, and a half we record, weeks. Yeah, we recorded right. before San Diego. Sorry, my so yeah. Brain. Yeah. Two and a half. So it's been two and a half weeks, which makes it sound all the more insane. Not a single Skype update. I was like, oh, that, God, of That's course. very unusual. Yeah. Uh, listeners, what you don't know is that almost every time we do a recording, Jeff will send me an email when we're about to start going, Skype needs to update. Yeah. My Skype's not update that much. I don't know what it is about your Skype, but your Skype seems to update on a weekly basis. It does. It really does. And I have no idea. Maybe it's because I've got the call recorder program tied to it or something. I have no idea, but you're... You're absolutely right. I'm horrified by the idea that yours doesn't update nearly as much. It, I, I think in all the time we've been doing this podcast, my Skype has updated like maybe three times. Wow. And yours updates every single, like really every single week. Yes. So yeah. the idea that it's not updated is super strange. To yeah. Me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm oddly kind of, suspicious. Me too. I'm like, oh fuck, our computer, my computer's broken. Skype's going to crash in the middle of this. Um, Anyway. Well, here's something that might yeah. happen. Just yes. to continue our "this is going to be a weird episode" thing. Uh, there was actually a warning given out that power might go out in Portland because so many people are going to be running air conditioner. Oh, of course, it's so hot you're going to strike it. So if, if I just disappear, then that's why. Okay. There we go. Just, just, just want to put that out there, out there in the world. <sighs> hey, Jeff, how are you? Oh God, crap. <laughs> You know, the other thing that's weird is uh, when we took our break, which uh, you have reminded me is two and a half weeks ago, not a week and a half ago, um, that first couple of four or five days after, I felt like I was just burning through the comic reading. I'm like, this is great. I'm reading so much stuff. Boy, I wish we could talk. I'm going to have to make lots of notes. And Christ only knows what happened because then all of a sudden, I mean, we're talking a little bit early, but I'm looking and I'm like, what? What ha- what happened? When 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 am I going to talk about what? What, what am I? Uh, what was I? What was I reading? Well, if nothing else, we can talk about a shit ton of of not what we've read, but what has been happening on the internet. Yeah, uh, I always stuff. like to have a balance, uh, as you know. Like, what I what I I once talked about something I read. Yes, and I'm sure you must have read, but it's something that literally flew under my radar so much that when it won multiple Eisners, I was like, "That's a thing." <laughs> Namely, The Art of Charlie Chan Hok Chai by oh, Sun right. I've wanted to read that forever, but have Jeff, still have not. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. So I literally did not know it existed mm-hmm. uh, until the Eisners were announced. Wow. Okay. And I was like, what's the Sunny Lou book? This one, like, three Eisners. Mm-hmm. This is nuts. I, I, I literally don't know what it is. And the next day at, at Comic Con, I'm, I'm wandering around the show floor and. Let's see who publishes it. Pantheon publishes it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I go to the Pantheon booth and they have copies and I'm looking through it and I'm like, this looks great. This looks really interesting. And then they're like, if you buy it now, Sonny can sign it. He's right here. 
And that's one of those things where you're like, well, I kind of have to buy it now. Yeah, no kidding, right? I'm not going to be like, no, I'm okay, thanks. I'll get it later. (laughs) Hi, multiple Eisner Award winner, Sonny Lou. So here's my my favorite part of the story. I, of course, bought it. They Mm -hmm. gave it to him to sign. He said, what's your name? I said, he said, how'd you spell it? I spelled it. He did a lovely, like, sketch. Like, hi, Graham, blah, blah, blah. Spelled my name wrong nonetheless. <laughs> Which I love. I love that. Um, it's such a good book, Jeff. Yeah. It's such a good book. Uh, do you know what, do you know what the book is? Uh, uh I, no. I, honestly, I mean, it, it sort it, of it is. Yeah. He, uh, memoir of well not really a memoir a biography of a fictional comic artist mm-hmm. in six uh and his career from i think it's like the 1950s through the 1980s realistically mm-hmm. uh, which is not a successful career by any means mm-hmm. like he keeps working but it's not like he ever becomes like a big hit mm-hmm. uh, so you see examples of his comics as done by sunny lou mm-hmm you, uh, and each of them is inspired by a very particular thing. I mean, I say inspired by, I mean, even in the story. So at one point, they're like, we love the eagle, the old British anthology comic. So we try to do our own version of the eagle. Mm-hmm. And she pages from that. And it really is like he's paid a lot of attention to Frank Hampton's art. And he's like trying to recreate it. But in, in addition to all of this, mm-hmm. it's also a history of the political history of Singapore for that same period. Mm. Because the conceit in the book is that uh, Charlie is very inspired by what is happening contemporaneously with politics. Mm-hmm. To the point where he's basically just telling those stories in his comics. Huh. And so you see like uh, uh, like a, an Astro Boy parody mm-hmm. or, or homage or however, whatever you want to say. Um, that is, you know, here's what's happening with, with Singapore politics and, and, and a revolution and revolutionary figures. And then it goes to like, here's the eagle, here's the, the, you know, this, the superhero, the 1950s superhero material. Mm. But it's all telling this, this story of what's happening in politics. Mm-hmm. At the same time as it's telling the story about what happened to this guy's career. At the same time as they're fit, working as stories in and of themselves. Wow. And, and, in amongst this, you get Sonny Lou showing up himself to be the narrator, mm-hmm. uh, but you also see what are meant to be like sketchbook material and and paintings by Charlie mm-hmm. from the same time, and some of his later work commenting on his earlier his earlier experiences, hmm. and it's all intercut together. Wow, it's a remarkably deep book. Like there, there's a lot there to unpick, mm-hmm. but it's wonderful. Yeah, it sounds it sounds amazing. It's super challenging, uh, and also super rewarding. Mm-hmm. Like it, it really does send you down the rabbit hole of how much of this is real and how much of this is is him uh, almost you know getting the, the the political allegory wrong. Mm-hmm. I guess like how, how much of this is 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 based in truth and how much of this is Charlie the character misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. What is happening? Because mm-hmm. the entire is he gets started really, really young. Like mm-hmm. he's making comics when he's twelve. Mm-hmm. So it's like how how does a twelve year old see these revolutionary figures, mm-hmm. and how does that fit into you know as he gets 
older and, and he creates this old mythology of like these figures are are the real superheroes are the real heroes because I've followed them since I was a kid and I can see them do no wrong and and as they go on to have tragic ends he projects his own mm. lack of success on tragedy mm-hmm. you know so it, it all becomes it's a it's a wonderful fascinating book yeah that sounds amazing and uh, so, yeah I I I highly recommend it. I, I I think you in particular would get a lot out of it mm-hmm. because it's it's feeding off of. I think because of Sonny Lou's own influences, but you know uh, Charlie's influences, it's feeding off of so many different styles of comics. Mm-hmm. It's feeding off of manga, it's feeding off of British comics, it's feeding off of American comics, and all of them interplay. That sounds terrific. Sorry, who's the publisher again? I should know this because I Pantheon. literally have Pantheon. Thank you, because yes. I've picked it up like several times repeatedly, and I just I can't, you know, still haven't gotten around to reading it. So that's that is an excellent tip. And since you mentioned San Diego, I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about the con, your experience, your take on it, you know. All that exciting stuff. I, I had a great con. <laughs> I know, which is amazing. Great, it really movie. is right. Yeah. It's yeah. so unusual that yeah. I had a great con. Um, but I did. I had a really, really good con. I think it was a very weird show for the people working there. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I talked to a lot of people who were saying that uh, that sales were weird this year. Mm-hmm. And that foot traffic was odd. From my own point of view, Thursday and Friday seemed actually surprisingly quiet. And then Saturday and Sunday felt very heavy. Very really? busier than normal. Yeah. Hmm. Thursday and Friday felt quieter than normal. Saturday and Sunday felt much busier. Hmm. Um, but I've talked to people who said, you know, Saturday sales were dead. Hmm. It's terrible. Well, um, you know, as, as, as I think we mentioned, uh, in one of the episodes leading up to this, um, Mile High Comics was not, decided not to show at San Diego mm-hmm. again this year. And one of the things that, uh, Rosansky talked about in his newsletter, which friend of the podcast, Jared Kobeck was kind enough to forward to me, uh, Rosansky was talking about how essentially people, what we've heard before, which is that people coming to cons aren't there for the comics anymore. And they're there, they're there to cosplay, they're there to see the media people, but, you know, the, the idea of them actually, you know, they might buy Funko swag, but are they actually buying comics? They're, as far as Rosansky was concerned, that's been on the downturn for several years now, so. And yet, I'm not sure how much of it was media stuff this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I, well, I, uh... The, the fun thing about working for The Hollywood Reporter at shows like this is you really do get an outside perspective, like beyond comics, mm-hmm. of how the show is going. And I was definitely feeling that, you know, Warner Brothers and, and Marvel had their big movie panels. Right. But that was it for movies. Mm-hmm. Fox's movie panel, like everyone was saying, was a, uh, was a disappointment. Oh, really? Uh, and that was it for your big movie panels. There was only three of them. Mm-hmm. Um there's a bunch of TV panels, right. a lot of TV panels, and maybe it's all shifting to TV now and not movies. 
Um, but yeah, it's it, it was an it was an odd show for that. The the, the movie influence definitely felt far lesser. Mm-hmm. So I don't know because because I also wouldn't say that you know the comics news was. It's not like at the show. You know, every day you're like, oh my god, I can't believe this. Oh my god, I can't believe this. I oh mean, yeah, right. There was the Frank Miller news. Mm-hmm. There was the Morrison news. Mm-hmm. Which you, which you, I think, had mentioned <coughs> had gotten more or less broke by accident, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Grant Morrison came out and said, I'm doing Arkham Asylum 2. And you could tell that, like, I'm not sure that was necessarily meant to be announced at the time. Wow. <laughs> Uh, and, and Miller's doing Superman Year One, which may or may not be called Superman Year One, so early is it in the development process. Right. So, yeah, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, but like Marvel's big announcements were what? Mark Wade doing Captain America, I guess? Right. Wade and Sammy, uh, I feel like. Wade, Wade and Sammy, yeah. Wade and Sammy doing Captain America, and, uh, they're bringing back cancelled Marvel books for one final issue. For Marvel Legacy, which is like the, the strangest, nuttiest announcement in general. I mean, it was nutty when DC did it for Blackest Night, but at least then they had the "It's a zombie comic." Do you get it? Gimmick. Right. Right. It's like for Marvel Legacy, going, you guys. I know you've been waiting fifteen years, more than fifteen years. Jesus Christ, like twenty years for Power Pack issue sixty-three. Right. Right. You know, that's the weirdest thing. Yeah. But. But there you go. That's mm-hmm. that's what Marvel had to offer. Um, and then I can't I can't think of any other major comics news. Was there? I feel there must have been. I'm sure there was, but I'm also like ninety five percent sure. Oh, you know the big news that I heard about was um, uh, Ed Piscor doing the oh, history of design. the X Men. Yeah, yeah. I, I, grand design. Yes, which actually is a is a great one. Yeah. Um, and there was, there was another Marvel announcement that went along with that. Oh, their comicsology deal. Yes, about the, the Marvel doing the exclusives with them. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, and starting with the Marvel Now Iron Fists titles that never came out a year ago. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's great. Good job, Marvel. <laughs> um, Marvel's booth on the floor was mobbed as always. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Marvel, Marvel's really pushing in humans, Jeff, the TV show. Oh, really God. pushing in humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the big things in their booth was a life-size plush lockjaw. Oh, Jesus. Unlike uh, they had a big, the, the big graphic on the side, one side of the booth was, was the Inhumans poster. But I was not at the Inhumans panel, so I hasten to add this is second hand. Mm-hmm. But I've heard multiple people from people that were there that the audience actually just laughed at the footage. Oh no, really? And Inhumans is not a comedy. That yeah. goes without saying. Well, so having the audience laugh at your footage at Comic Con is really not a good sign. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, hmm. I uh, what was the name? I feel like I stepped on it. Uh, what's the name of Ed Piscor's uh, X Men book? I think it's called X-Men Grand Design, isn't it? It, I don't know. All I heard was the design part when you were speaking. And uh, honestly, I gotta admit that, that I'm sure that's probably it, but I just wanted to check because I'm like, uh. I, I'm looking it up right now. Yes, it's called X-Men Grand Design. Fabulous. And it's, it's the weirdest project 
So it's Piscar doing six issues. Mm-hmm. Six comics, books. Which is, isn't it, is, I'm six, sorry. Six, over, six oversized books, yeah. Yeah. But, right. but it's like, I, but I think it's only, I don't think it's like book length as much as it's book format. Uh, yes, although I think it's longer than your average, um, uh, I mean, I think it's closer to, I, I'm assuming it's probably about the size of his, of his hip hop books. Um, but I don't know, at one point he actually was talking about it, like how many pages it was going to be and how he was putting it down. Um, right. A mere six issues. Right, it's fifty. I think it's six fifty-page books, right? Because he's doing six issues yeah. and it's three hundred pages. Uh, and it's summarizing the first two hundred and eighty issues of Uncanny X-Men. Yeah, is that insane or what? Just the idea I, that he's going to cover that much ground is ridiculous. Like it could be great or it could be a disaster. Like it really is one of those. Who can tell? Right. Like it's it's definitely going to be interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it, it, I'm I'm super curious. What's fascinating to me is that he chooses to end at 280, mm-hmm. because that's the end of the Claremont run. It's actually just after the end of the Claremont run, but it, it's it's finishing off the Claremont storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the end, by like what X Men two. Twenty something, whenever they died in Dallas, mm-hmm. like from that point to the end, the end of his run was one massive fucking story. <laughs> so the idea of of Pisker, like treating it that way, it's really interesting to me, right? You know, yeah. So yeah, so we'll we'll see what that's like. Um, I'm trying. What what were DC's other announcements? There was there's Arkham Asylum two. Mm-hmm. There was Superman Year One. Um. Because I'm trying to think of everything that... I don't think there's that many other announcements actually at the show. Mm-hmm. Oh, there was uh, the Jeff Lemire, Ivan Rice, the Terrifics as part of the Dark Matter series. Oh, huh. Did you see that or not? No, no, Did no, that? I didn't. Uh, it's essentially DC doing the Fantastic Four. <laughs> it's uh, Mr. Terrific, Metamorpho, Phantom Girl, and Plastic Man. Huh. As a super team. Oh, I did um, see something like that. Where right. you're like outright said, like, I'm taking inspiration from the Lee Kirby Fantastic Force. Mm. So that'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, much more, because I am a scurrilous gossip monger, much more interesting was the panel that was announced on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lemire did a, it's so great to be back at DC, which you always expect people to say, right? Right. And he's like, this book's about family, because DC's my family. <clears throat> and then, at one point, this little kid comes up, and the kid's adorable, and he's like, I want to write DC Comics. And they're like, no, we're writing them. And he goes, well, there's always Marvel. And Jeff LeMire goes, I've done that, and let me tell you, you don't want to do that. Oh my god, really? Wow. Yes. That's like, oh, so he had a bad experience of Marvel then. Jesus. It's not just that he's back, at, he's back at DC, he clearly had a bad experience of Marvel. Which is amazing because he turned out a lot of books for them too. Which might be, might be the bad experience. Maybe it is. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. God. So, uh, when does, is, in fact, has his Marvel runs all wrapped up yet? Cause I mean, he was. No, I want to say that like maybe his Thanos book is still going on. Mm-hmm. 
Isn't he, but is like, he still on Old Man Logan or did he get, did that, he's, off, I, like, he's off, he's off, okay. he's off Old Man Logan. Okay. He's off the X-Men books, Moon Knight mm-hmm. finished. Say he might actually be entirely done. Oh, okay. He might be gone. Wow. Um, but yeah, but he, like he really did do a lot of Marvel books in a really small amount of time. Yeah. Yeah, just a ton. Well, I mean, that guy, he really does. Um, he can get, crank it out. Yeah, you get the, you get the sense that he, like, most people talk about, you know, writers being able to, to write a book a week. You sort of, he, maybe he was doing like two books a week, you know, cause he's still doing the stuff for Valiant as well during that time. But he's right? only doing Bloodshot for Valiant. So that's only one other book. Hmm. And I want to say when he was at Marvel, and I might be misremembering, but no, he was. He was doing image stuff at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was doing image stuff at the same time, so he was doing creator runs. Yeah, I don't know. Clearly, he he he's a, a writing machine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I talked to him just before San Diego for about uh, the new Bloodshot series, mm-hmm. and he pretty much suggested that he kind of block writes. Mm-hmm. Like remember, Benzis used to talk about this as well that he'd like write ahead on books. Yes, he'd get on, he'd write ahead, and that's how he juggled. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely the way that Lamar sounded like he was he was doing Bloodshot. Mm-hmm. That it, it was like you know, I get I get in Bloodshot mode, I write those books, and it, it would not be surprise me if he was doing the same for the Marvel books. Yeah, that makes sense. And of course, just as Grant Morrison did something like that with uh, the X Men. Um, I'm sure they were like, great, we'll publish all of these as fast as humanly possible. Exactly. Uh, talking about X-Men and Lamar, mm-hmm. um, I was catching up on Inhumans versus X-Men and Marvel Unlimited the other day. Mm-hmm. And that book was $4, $5. Right. And I realized that it only has 19 story pages, each issue. Each issue? Mm-hmm. For four bucks? Mm-hmm. Wow. 19 story pages. Ooh. And it made me think, are lots of Marvel's books 19 issues and no one noticed? It's possible. It's really possible. Um, yeah. Isn't that kind of wacky? Remember when like DC went to 20 issues and people lost their minds? Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, I don't but know. Humans versus X-Men was a big deal and was a really high book and, you know, might have even been $5 an issue. Because right. it's, it's a Marvel book. I would not be surprised if it was 4 And the fact that there's 19 pages an issue is insane to me. Well, I feel like, admittedly, I'm thrown because I got this one as part of the Marvel crate or whatever. But I think the first issue of, um, that first issue of X-Men versus Inhumans, I thought was five bucks, but larger, like 30 pages or 40 pages, wasn't it? Well, there's there's uh, a lot of at least on Marvel Limbs, a lot of filler. Uh huh. There's uh, so when I I literally mean story pages, like right. in terms of content pages, uh-huh. there's two pages, there's a double page spread of like here's who the characters are with the headshots. There's a credits page, which is another page on top of that. Mm-hmm. There's next issue pages, mm-hmm. which are more pages on top of that. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's it turns out being you know thirty pages of quote unquote content, but there's mm-hmm. nineteen pages of story. Wow. Jesus. Hmm. Yeah, that, they really, really padded that thing out. And on Marvel Unlimited, and I don't know if this is a weird digital glitch or not, mm-hmm. it goes cover and then a blown up version of the cover for two pages. What? Really? Yep. 
Yeah, wow. and I'm, I really don't know if that's a Marvel and Lindsay glitch or not. Huh. Yeah. Super weird. Hmm. Very weird. Uh, yeah. So, hmm. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Any other scurrilous gossip? I don't feel like there, there was much, but I, I also have been so goddamn busy. I really did not pay as much attention to SDCC. Um, uh, I, any other scurrilous gossip? Um, it's not scurrilous gossip at all, but I got to meet Frank Miller. Wow. And he was lovely. Really? And I, I did not expect that at all. Huh. Uh, I, to the point where the person introduced me is like, oh, you should meet Frank. And I'm like, no, no, I'm actually scared of him. I don't want to meet him. Please, no, no, I don't want to meet him. I'm scared <laughs> of him. Please, no. And then they're like, and here he is. And he was really, really nice. Huh. Like, very outgoing, very friendly. Joking away, he has a very uh, curmudgeonly sense of humor, mm-hmm. but you can also tell that he's joking. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was such it was such a surreal experience because hmm. because uh, I, I really did go into it being like, oh shit, oh no, oh god, no, <laughs> what no? Um, I also, and I'm fairly sure I'm not sales out of school. I think this is this has come out. There was a uh, a Jeff Johns yacht event. On Thursday? Oh god. Where, uh, where press went out on a yacht to hear, uh, Jeff Jones talk about Doomsday Clock. And that was just super fun. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's so strange to go out on a yacht, you know? Yeah. You're like, this is really weird, you know, here's Jeff talking about, this is my plans for Doomsday Clock. And you're like, uh, we're on a yacht right now, that's fine, everything's normal. What? Why, why though? You know what I mean? Like, what, is there? Why not? Right. I guess, okay, thank you. Why not, Jeff? So, why was this one so much better for you? I know you sort of told me a little bit on an email, but considering the listeners, some of our long-term listeners have been listening to us. Uh, I, I was not worked to the bone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really, really like the people I work with at THR. Mm-hmm. And it's an amazingly supportive crew, mm-hmm. uh, which really does make all the difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It really makes all the difference. Uh, on um, Saturday night, the night of the big Marvel panel, um, they closed the press room while the panel was still going on. <laughs> because, of, because of course they did. Because they had right. they closed the press room when they closed the convention center, but the, the panel overran because the panel started late. Right. Uh, and... The entire THR team literally just decamped out to sit on the floor outside the press room. Wow. And, and like use the, the, the Wi-Fi. And there was something about that camaraderie mm-hmm. that I was just, I really like these people. Like I, I, I feel, I feel really good about this experience this year. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, I got to see a bunch of people that I, I, I like a lot and I never see apart from San Diego. Mm-hmm. Uh, you- Bunch of other journalists, um, Abe from Vulture, Meg from CBR, Albert from CBR. Um, I got to meet a bunch of people. Uh, Kyle from the Beat, who listens to us, whose opener was actually, I listened to Wait What, which was the, the funniest thing. <laughs> I, I was like, I'm really sorry. <laughs> oh. Hi, Kyle. Hi, Kyle out there. Um, 
Yeah, and then you know it was it was like that, like meeting a bunch of people, seeing a bunch of people that I I really like that I don't get to see normally. Right. Um, Mike from from 2008, Mike Vulture from from Rebellion, is just I really like catching up with him, you know. And it, it's it's that sort of thing that made it really good. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it wasn't I wasn't absolutely insane running around all the time. I mean, I was busy. Mm-hmm. There, it was it wasn't like I had any time to stop. Mm-hmm. But I also wasn't because you you've done it in the past as well. There are times where you're literally like, I finished this panel. I've five minutes to get to the other side of the convention center. Yes, I've got to run, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I didn't have any of those this year. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, Plus, you didn't. It sounds like you didn't have your classic, you know, annual. I pulled an all nighter, right? Uh, I I no no. The latest I was I was working was like one o'clock. Yikes. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, but that's uh, when you're compared with all night. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, it was it was it was a good show, and nothing major went wrong. So yeah, I, I really I really did have a very good experience this year. It's one of those things where I got to leave San Diego, being like, it's time to leave, and not you mm-hmm. know having that feeling two days earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's time to go. Wait a minute, the con just opened. Oh Not no! Not really, though. No, you know, like, yeah, you've, you've like you've had that experience as well. Oh, totally. You're like, you know, it's Saturday morning, and I want to go home. Yeah. Yep. You know, um, I did a couple of panels. I did uh, a panel, very much like the panel I did at Emerald City, which was non-fiction comics again, mm-hmm. uh, and it was Box Brown. And oh, this is where I forget everyone who's on it. Jonathan Hennessy, who uh, does a bunch of nonfiction comics for for mainstream publishers. Again, uh, Ten Speed Press is his publisher, and oh. he he writes a bunch of of uh, comic stuff for them, all nonfiction work. And who else is on that panel? God damn it, my brain is melting. Um, Sam Maggs, who isn't a comic person, but did the Fangirls Guide to the Galaxy and a book called Wonder Woman, which is uh, profiles of, of women throughout history who have done like science or, or, or um, medicine work uh-huh. and, and are completely rated. And someone else whose name is entirely escaping me right now, and it's very annoying. Um, but he's a comic artist who's done work for a bunch of publishers and just illustrated a book called Rise of the Dungeon Master. Uh, about oh, yeah, Gary that's Gygax. rings a bell. Yeah, about Gary Gygax, exactly. Yeah, um, and I can't remember his name for the life of me. But that, that was a great panel. That went really well. Uh, and then I did Heidi McDonald's comic journalism pageant that I say. Right. David, which, uh, it was not too. Sorry, David Kushner, right? Is that, or is that? The... David's the, the, the author. It's the, it's the artist I was, I was with. Oh, uh, Corin Shadmi? Or Corin Shadmi, yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. And he was lovely. He was, he's one of those people who is remarkably talented and so humble that you kind of want to be like, just stop it. <laughs> just, just fucking stop it. Um, did so, Heidi's, yeah. uh, comic journal on panel after that, on the Friday. Uh, and that was, that was fun, but also, uh, I felt completely out of place because, you know, I've been doing this for, 15 years now. Right. And you know, and you're, we're talking to like Alexander Liu who does uh, Comics Beat and he's like, when I graduated last year and it's like, oh shit. Oh, oh no. no. <laughs> <laughs> he runs uh, Black Girl Nerds. 
And she's like, yeah, when I, you know, I started years ago, back in 2012. And I was like, oh, shit, no. <laughs> oh, uh, and I are just like, we're old. We're very old. Um, yeah, so that was that. I'm trying to think of anything else that, that was... I, I told you I, in email, I think, that the Tom King panel on Sunday was spectacular. You know, I think... I don't know if you did mention that to me. So Tom King... Uh, anyone at any comic convention in the future where Tom King is doing a spotlight panel, drop everything and rearrange your schedules to see it. Mm-hmm. Because it was amazing. He was exactly the right mix of sarcastic, self-depreciating and utterly emotionally devastating. Wow. Really? Uh, well, he, it starts off with him complaining that he's got a 10 o'clock Sunday morning panel. Mm-hmm. And that he was out to four o'clock the night before and, you know, fuck the shit. He then brings out both of his Eisners and starts playing with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about how he must be good because he's won two Eisners now. Then complains that he won one of the Eisners for the Batman story about the dog. Saying, I killed myself for Sheriff of Babylon and Omega Man in the Vision. And they give me an award for the fucking dog story. <laughs> um, and then t- talks about the origins of the Mr. Miracle series, which literally, like, devastated the room. Really? The short version is, he is finishing up Vision, Sheriff of Babylon, and Omega Man at the same time. Mm-hmm. He goes out to dinner with his wife and his three kids. He thinks he's having a heart attack at dinner. He legitimately thinks he's dying. Because mm. uh, he's like, my vision is closing in, I can hardly raise my arms, I, I think I'm dying. They on they take him to the hospital. En route to the hospital, his father calls. His father, who had abandoned him as a kid, and he's like, "My father's calling. Why is my father calling? I have to answer this. This must be really important." And his father's like, "Your grandmother, who raised you, is dead." <sighs> While he's on the way to the hospital, oh my god, believing he too is dying. Mm-hmm. Uh and he gets to the hospital, and they're like, "It's not a heart attack. You're not dying. This is a panic attack." You've just had a very severe panic attack, uh, but you, but you'll be fine. And he's like, and then I had to go and take care of all the arrangements to bury my grandmother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that he goes like that eats up the next like week. And then he said, and then I realized that I'd cut. It was like I'd woken up in the Matrix because everything that people said couldn't happen would happen, mm-hmm. like. You know, the, the World Series and the Super Bowl all went the wrong way. And it's like, and then Trump won. Mm-hmm. And no one thought Trump would win. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, I, I'm coming to terms with the fact I'm, I'm now this guy who has panic attacks and I'm dealing with depression and everything is wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and how do I deal with that? Mm-hmm. And then he goes from like, and at this point, the entire room is like, oh my God, Tom, I love you. He then is like, and because I'm a pretentious fuck, I thought I'll turn it into art. <laughs> you know, and he starts talking about how, the, you know, when you think you're in the wrong world, when you think that something that, like basically reality is glitched, mm-hmm. that the only person that makes sense is the god of escape. Because mm-hmm. it's the only person who can get out of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then he gets offered the new gods by Dan DiDio. And he's like, yes, they have Mr. Miracle. Him. Mm-hmm. That's the guy I'm going to write. Wow. Yeah. 
So it was, it was, it was like, honestly, it was a rollercoaster of a fucking final. Yeah. You know, from that to him like spinning his eyes and being like, just an Oscar spin? Fuck you, Meryl Streep. You know, and he really was like pinballing between all of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, it really was just like, this is an amazing performance. Wow. <laughs> you know, for all that he's joking about being hung over and not wanting to do the panel, this is an astounding performance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was great. It was great. Hmm. So yes, Tom King panels. Uh, drop everything and go and see them. Wow. Oh yeah, that was yes. it. That was all you said, Graham. Actually, was so. I'm like, oh, that's the phrase you use. Yeah, and I'm. I guess I didn't follow up. So, I saved it for on air, and I'm. I'm very glad that I did. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. My goodness. Uh. Okay. Well, so that covers that covers the chunk of. Oh yeah, I have to say, honestly, I saw you on the photos of you on Heidi's panel, and although. You know, oh, like did you? I did. Are there? Are there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, there are. Because uh, because it's Heidi's panel, so did she actually I, did ran I look stuff at bright red. Did I look like I had really bad sunburn? Because no, I did. I, oh, did you? Okay, then maybe that's. <laughs> oh, what I did. Yeah. Holy shit! Did I? Um, the first day, I um, I I'm just like wandering around San Diego because my plane got in at like eight o'clock in the morning, and the convention doesn't start until whenever like five o'clock at night mm-hmm. so i'm just wandering around and it's really sunny and i don't think anything of it until that night when i'm like i i have a really like really bad headache i feel like i've got a migraine headache and i'm really fucking dehydrated what's going on and i go back to a cell and I put a light on and i am pink Jeff. oh my goodness <laughs> like i i look like someone has actually tried to boil me <laughs> and i was like this, this isn't good oh no and honestly for the rest of the the weekend i i just looked really kind of sick. <laughs> wow, that's funny. No, I think it made the. I think maybe someone figured out how to um, desaturate color the colors. So, yeah, color. <laughs> you were color corrected in the photos. You you actually looked kind of. I that was the one where I was like, oh, I see why Graham said that he was having a good time. You actually looked. I thought pretty relaxed, which I know would have to be a trick because of how you normally handle panel. Right. That's yeah. the thing. I did mm-hmm. these panels and they weren't the end of the world. I didn't have crazy stress ahead of them. Wow. Wow. It's, it's, it was a good show, but again, kind of weird. Like, you know, we're all in the matrix and I'm not, I normally don't have good shows like that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So who knows? But yeah, that, that was, that was my San Diego and it was, it was good. It was fun. It, it left me, and this is really unusual. It left me going, Oh, I'm looking forward to like New York or the next con. Wow. You know? Yeah. And that again, mm-hmm. never happened. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much the opposite. Most of you, most people walk out of those and it's like, Oh shit. How many yeah, more never of these do have? Yeah. Exactly. Oh, that was funny. I was talking to, it was, it was Mulchern on the last day. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know that the uh, panel applications for New York have to be in, in a week, right? <laughs> So people were working on their New York con panel, like, submissions at San Diego. Oh, God. Oh, God, that sounds like the worst thing ever. It's just... Also, Mulcher was literally leaving San Diego on, I think, the Monday or maybe the Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And then he had a convention in London on the Friday. Oh, my God. Oh. I know. Wow. Yes. Good job. <laughs> 
Good job, everyone. As he said, this is what happens when you agree to conventions without ever checking a calendar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oof. Yeah. 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 So that that was fun. Um, I'm trying to think what if anything else interesting happened. I talked to Scott Snyder for a bit. Oh yeah. Uh, about uh, for a THR story that I think is going to run. Let's see if this goes up on Monday next week. I think it's going to run a couple of days after that. I think it's running on the Wednesday of next week. Um, about the DC New Talent program. Because mm-hmm. you may or may not know that Scott Snyder runs the writing part of that. Yeah, I think I did know that. And it's fucking fascinating. Like I, I'm fascinated by this program. Because mm-hmm. uh, Snyder's part is a 13-week course, writing course. Mm-hmm. Where he teaches you how to write superhero comics, specifically how to write superhero comics. Wow. Not any other genre. Because it's basically taken that you can already write by the time you come into this. Right. So how do you write superhero comics? Hmm. Uh, which is apparently in the format of the first hour of each week is let's study two comics for a particular theme. Wow. And then the next hour is let's critique scripts that have been written by the class mm. uh, and everyone submits I think he said two scripts over the entire course mm-hmm. and they get they get, they get they get picked apart by the team mm-hmm. uh, which is fascinating but that's completely different to the way that the artists work because mm-hmm. the art class is they all get flown to Burbank for on-site classes with Jim Lee uh Andy Kubert and someone else, Klaus Janssen. Wow. Who do like full time classes for three weeks on site. That's amazing. Right? Can you just imagine that? Mm. That's it just it blows my mind. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, so it, it's but but Snyder was really Snyder was electric about the need for this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. The the need for a new new voices, but also not just like throwing them out there and being like, okay, right. are you writing a superhero comic? On you go. <laughs> um, and that that was a really good conversation. It's 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 fun to talk to people about stuff that they don't get to talk about often. Because I think if I'd been talking to him about metal, which don't get me wrong, he's super excited about metal. Sure. I say this because he acted out the first, he acted out Jeff, the first few pages of metal for me. Really? Like, acted out with voices. It was amazing. Wow. Um, but when you talk to them about something that they don't always get to talk about, but they are enthusiastic about, mm-hmm. you get a, you get a really good interview out of that. You get a really good conversation. Right. Uh, so that is, yeah, like I said, I think it's going up. A week today as we're recording, so next Wednesday on The Hollywood Reporter, it'll be up. Um, and there will be things in there that are news besides that, mm. he said, cryptically. <laughs> so we will all have to check. I, yeah, I can't, I can't spoil my own story. <laughs> um, but I, I really want, like, I want to tell you at least. Right. But I can't spoil it. I'll tell you when we start recording. Oh, fair Because it's not a big thing, but it's right. it's a fun thing to have in the story. That sounds great. That sounds great. I look I I look forward to hearing about it soon-ish. <laughs> Another <laughs> yeah, couple hours from now. We'll forget. Yeah, we'll both entirely forget. 
Well, and so you said you also wanted to cover some of the internetery that uh, has been going on. Well, uh, first of all, I wanted to talk about Hibbs's piece on Comic Speed. Oh, good. I was about hoping Marvel that you would. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which I know you were you were quoting on Twitter today as we record. Yes, and I was so far behind the curve. I went and checked your Twitter for the first time in forever, and I'm like, oh, Gramps pretty got took a snapshot including the money quote I used, and he did that yesterday because that's when the story came out. Oh, Jeff is sad. But you're uh, busy. Come yeah, on, I'm busy, but <laughs> also got yourself a break. Yeah, um, but that was a hell of a piece. Really so for was. people who who haven't read the piece, it's yeah. Hibbs. Um, I think it's I think it's fair to say being incredibly disappointed with the the legacy solicits so far. Yeah, and then ripping them apart on the ordering incentives. Yes, I mean really ripping them a new asshole on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the, the the money quote is he says something like you have to order comics that you cannot sell in order to get comics you can sell. Yeah, exactly. Literally, you're being asked to purchase comics you can't sell in order to gain access to comics that you can. Because he's talking about the, uh, once again, Marvel's doing the complete fuckery of um, having incentive covers, in- including lenticular covers, which Hibbs talks about being incredibly uh, popular in the marketplace, and not even being able to get those until you order at a rank of, usually it's like, I think they went from 250% to 200% of previous orders for, I think he starts off with like Iron Man or something like that. And but but as, as he points out, all the legacy solicits so far are the same creative teams. Yes. So it's not even like a relaunch. It's no. literally like the next issue of your comic, but now you have to spe- sell three times as many. Exactly. As many yeah. Yeah, exactly. So he's... Yeah, he really tears into it. He does not hold back. And it all feels, um, none of it feels like cheap shots. You just read it and you're just like, oh my God, Marvel is, they said they were going to do everything different and they're doing everything exactly the same precisely when they wouldn't, shouldn't. It's kind of amazing when you think of the fact that when Legacy was first rumored and then first spoken to, Spoken about to retailers. Yes. All we kept hearing was, oh no, they're, they're, they're changing. They've made up for it. I kept hearing that from so many people. This is them really making up for their past mistakes. They've really learned this time. And then you see this shit and you're like, they've not learned anything. No. They've not learned anything. This is astounding. Yep. Yep. And, and as Hib says in, in the piece, um, you know, Marvel has figured out how to sell a first issue. You know, they, they've figured out how to jack the numbers up on a first issue with these various incentive covers. He's like, but the problem is, is selling the fourth issue is really what's turning into be, being a problem. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be carnage for Marvel Legacy. Like, cause, cause they're setting up unrealistic sales expectations. They're probably going to trick enough retailers into trying to reach those sales expectations. It's going to it's going to tank. Oh, it's not. It's not. It's lot. not like tricking. It's like semi extortion at this point, you know, because it really is. Again, as Hibbs points out, like you can't sell the regular books. You know, there's nothing different about them, and the Marvels rebooted the numbering and not changed the creative teams before. 
And it, and that does not work. So, you know, the idea of jacking everything up with these incentives, I don't know. Hopefully most retailers won't fall for it, but Hibs. But is, they will. Well, it's not a matter like, of. Like really, they will, won't they? I, I, I honestly don't see why they wouldn't because everyone, I think everyone wants this to be a success. Right. Every single retailer is like, this is ludicrous, this is insane, this is suicidal, but I need this to be a hit. Well, you need, see, this is the problem. What, what's the definition of a hit? They don't need a short-term hit. There are those retailers that are well off that, that Hibbs mentioned, like guys who are going to be pretty unscrupulous about it and, you know. Oh, like, oh you know that like Midtown and Mile High are going to be like, guess what everyone? Yep. Yep. Fucking lenticular covers, all of them. Yeah, and and for a markup, and and or even selling them to other retailers for a markup, and uh, and that's it. It's this completely horrific Darwinian. But that's that's one end of the spectrum. The problem with the direct market, of course, is is there's so many stores that are in trouble that need, you know, they don't need one. They they may not have the budget to be able to gamble on this. And that's the thing. If they don't, they can't gamble on it. If they don't have the money, that's, that's the, that's the nature of ordering on a non-returnable basis. So I think there's a lot of stores who are hurting so badly. Hopefully they've learned their lesson and, you know, and can look at this and are like, I can't, I can't do this. I cannot. Cause I'll be out of business in like three months if it doesn't work. You know, so I, I have a question talking about non-returnable, and this is not necessarily a question that you can answer, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm almost throwing it out to all of our listeners in hopes that one of them can answer. <laughs> Did you see Marvel's book catalog that was leaked uh, last week? No. Marvel's book catalog for the first, I want to say, half of 2018 mm-hmm. was was leaked. And something I kept seeing on that was Marvel is offering titles to the book market as non-returnable. Mm-hmm. And that seems really unusual. Hmm. And I guess my question is, is it? Or am I imagining that? Huh. I I thought the book market didn't accept things as, uh, as non return Well, I think, yeah, I feel like they can. It's just whether or not they necessarily want to. I mean, this is it. Marvel may decide that, um, you know, that, that what works for them in the direct market uh, you know, a bookstore would be like, <laughs> who's not learned their lesson from Marvel are like, oh, oh my God. Okay. So I order these Spider-Man books. They're non-returnable, but I get this deep discount on the cover price. You know, I mean, that's the, those things, those things are important. The, there's people for whom, I mean, this is it. Everyone sits around and bemoans the direct market now. Uh, and not everyone. There's, of course, people like Hibbs who are staunch defenders. But I think I've seen someone on Twitter, like, refer to it as, like, um, kind of a weird, like, a, almost as if it was a, a marketing fluke or something like that. And I'm like, the direct market was a great deal for people when it started. It was great for both ends of the equations, for for the for the very small but burgeoning direct market, it was fantastic because you got the opportunity to actually buy things at a, at a deeper discount. And because you weren't 
going to send them back because you were going to throw them in your back issue bins, you know, it was a huge help. It allowed you to really clear the, the, was it Phil Suling, I think, who, who, who brokered the yeah, deal? Yeah, that, that, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it was, it was kind of a, it was highly attractive and it was the sort of thing that could almost only happen in a marketplace that was as small as the comic book marketplace in the seventies, you know? Um, but, but I think a lot of bookstores, you know, considering there's bookstores that are kind of been under siege and feeling the squeeze, they're kind of like, okay, well, I can order these books, you know, there, it depends. I don't, I have no idea if, if they're, you know, if, if Marvel's making all their stuff non-returnable, and it's just like, like it or lump it, you know, but I, I would assume that the, the idea is they're trying to make it attractive with the idea of like, you get a great discount on it and it's Marvel. Everyone loves Marvel. Everyone loves those movies. Like those things really sell and we'll see, we'll see whether or not bookstores go for it, you know? It just, it struck me as such a, a weird thing. And also it was for the big ticket items. Mm. It was for the the omnibuses. It was for the the hardcover collections. Right. Well, um, which, which, and I, you know, again, I was like, is this a, a quirk of the of the of the ticket price? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it, if it's going to be a book that's going to cost like a hundred dollars, right. is this normal in the book market? They're like, yeah, okay, but we're not like you don't get to return these. Yeah, right. <laughs> if you're saying you're going to buy a hundred dollar book, you're fucking buying a hundred dollar book. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, who knows? Maybe, you know, we could be looking at it where Marvel is basically saying, um, you know, maybe they're almost looking at it like a, uh, as a smart idea. Like they're having trouble selling these sort of big ticket items, um, to bookstores because bookstores quite sensibly kind of like Hibs at Comics Experience and other comic shop retailers are like, Fuck that. Like people are going to order it from Amazon for like a 30 or 40% discount. So this mm-hmm. may be Marvel's way of saying like, well, what if we give you the 30 or 40% discount? You just have to buy it non-returnably, you know? Yeah. I, I, I'm just, I'm very curious as to what know, the deal is. So. On the other hand, it's, it's Marvel. It's Marvel who's making like, honestly, the company that's making the term fiscally irresponsible sound like a compliment, <laughs> you know, like who knows who fucking knows. But I, I have to say that there are things that at least without knowing any of the substance or, or the particulars are like, well, I, you can't necessarily throw the baby out of with the bathwater. That being said, it absolutely sounds like the sort of thing that, that only Marvel would try and pull off because of the very, the, the way things are set up behind the scenes of Marvel. So kind of, kind of once again, uh, blood curling, you know? So yeah, that is kind of scary. Were there any, did you, were there any good books? Is there something that I should know about? I don't really, honestly, I, the, the one thing I remember is that Runaways was, was not a volume one. Runaways is just like, it's Runaways by Rainbow Rowell. Wow. And it's like, oh, it's a six issue series then. Thanks for saying that up front, everyone. Yeah, right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, that's, that's all I really remember. I don't remember any. Well, that's not true. They're putting out a shit ton of Black Panther books, unsurprisingly. Right. Uh, so if you've been looking for like, uh, the Don McGregor stuff to come back in color, 
then that's it, it's been in color. This is like the third time that they've done I, it. Oh yeah, I thought I thought it was only in the essentials. No, 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 no. Before, oh, well, before that, oh, was, they only did it as a hardcover, right? No, uh, yes, no. <laughs> this is the thing. No, yes, let, no, no. Let no. me school you, Graham. I'm on top of this. Give me a second. First, there was the <laughs> Jungle Action Marvel Masterworks that came out. Right? That was a hardcover. Hard yeah. Then I believe they did the essentials of it, which was black and white. Then they did the Epic Collection, which is a soft cover, was priced at the same price or close to the same price as the hardcover, but had quote unquote additional material, which is to say they had, um, the Panthers first appearance from FF reprinted in there as well. So, this is, if they're repackaging the material again, which would not surprise me, it's kind of like, oh, well, yeah, this is, this is their, their fourth bite at repackaging it. There's a, it's something called Th- Thanos the Infinity Siblings. Oh yeah, right. Which mm-hmm. is Jim Starlin and Alan Davis are doing a new graphic novel trilogy. Wow. Um, which is, you know, Jim Starlin, God bless him, is going to milk this cow until it's dry. Oh. And you can't really blame them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dude, the thing that's crazy is they more or less negotiated that first trilogy of original graphic novels, you know, after the bullshit with uh, Thanos popping up is yeah, to buy them off. and stuff. Yeah, and frankly, they fucking sold. They're like, they're coming back and doing these because Marvel made bank. And I assume Sterling did too. Did, did it sell? Yeah, Graham, yes. If it no, did, I, they would I, be bringing it back. I'm... They can't keep paying them off forever, you know. Oh, yes, they can. No, you're dude, seriously, that, those, those were like original graphic. What's that? Yeah, but you're talking about the company that pays Claremont a hefty amount every year not to write comics. Well, that's true, sure, but let's I face it. Be- no, I completely believe that no. these comics are not selling no. and they're doing it because they have a contractual obligation to do it in order to keep them quiet. No. I 100% believe that could be the case. Uh, I mean, how do I put this? If that were the case, you'd be seeing a lot more three-issue miniseries of Thanos versus Hulk and a lot less of Thanos the Infinity Blank. You know, but I could be wrong. I mean, and for what it's worth, if Marvel started a Patreon to, you know, so that I could also pay money to keep Chris Claremont from writing comics, I would, I would probably. Oh, I know it's so mean. I that was very mean. <laughs> it, it was a, it was a mean old swerve, and not fair. Honestly, I would love. I think they should. They they should set up a Patreon where Chris Claremont actually does get to write, like, just. Just it, we just get his pitches. You know what I mean? Like his his plots. <laughs> I, would, I, I was thinking the other day. I would genuinely buy a book that was like Marvel pitches and DC pitches that never went forward. But like oh. it's the whole pitch, mm-hmm. like the the, the follow up to Crisis mm-hmm. that was announced and then they decided not to do it. I would read the shit out of that pitch. Huh. Crisis of the Soul? Are you joking? I want to read what the fuck Crisis of the Soul was going to be. <laughs> Do you not? Do you not really want to know? I, I really do. Um, you know, I, I would, I generally would read books like that if they, if they ever put those out. And it feels like it's money on the table, you know? Sure. But who, who knows? Well, um, it may not be money down, on the table. They don't, yeah, they don't pay you for the pitches. Right. Yeah. right. yeah. I'm looking down the catalog right now. There is Marvel Legacy hardcover. Which is the 599 Marvel Legacy one shot. Oh shit. As 
as a thirty nine ninety nine hardcover. Fuck. Well, I, oh, it's not like oh fuck, really? Holy but shit. it also has the Marvel Primer pages. Do you know what the Marvel Primer pages are? No, are they like their new version of the Mar- Marvel Handbook pages or something? It's the um, all of the first issues of the Legacy books are going to have one page backstory origins sequences for the main characters. And they're putting all of those into this thirty nine ninety nine yes. trade with the Marvel Legacy yes. story. Yes. Wow. Marvel. So it's going to be like it's, it's going to be like a hundred pages of content for forty dollars, which actually is not unlike Marvel pricing. Yeah, sure. Uh, but it's literally Marvel Legacy one and lots of one page page origins. Oh my god. Oh, Graham. Yep. So you know that's happening. Oh. Um, let's see what else they're doing. Nothing amazingly exciting. There's lots of X-Men, Legion stuff. So I guess Legion, they're like, they're hoping that the second season of Legion is going to do really well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, da, da, da. no, it's, it's other than that, it's, it, there doesn't seem to be any big surprise. Oh, the, it's not a surprise because we knew they were doing it, but the, uh, Tom King's Vision is getting one collection, one hardcover collection. Oh, fucking finally. Uh, which grief. they're calling the Vision Director's Cuts hardcover. Because it's going to include the Director's Cuts material from the, the reissue series. Lots of Black Panther stuff, lots of Black Panther stuff. SMDH. Oh, you know, I think, wasn't it at Comic-Con that uh, the Legion guy, Noah, what's his name, said he was going to be working on a Doctor Doom movie? Doctor Doom movie! Yeah. Yes! Yeah. And and broke the internet for an evening. Yes. Yeah. In case someone missed but, that, that was the thing though. I was like, oh, that would be potentially awesome. So. Right? Mm-hmm. It could, it could also be a disaster. Yeah. Uh, Matt Mickelson apparently has said that he's interested in doing, in being Dr. Doom. Uh, who did? Mads Mickelson. Oh, Mads Mickelson. Oh my god. That, he would be the most amazing Dr. Doom. Oh my right? god. Right? Oh. That, that is one of those things we were like, that could be great. Yeah. But again, it could be terrible. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Depending on how they do it. Oh, oh, oh. wow, interesting. Okay, but that was also that was also a really interesting announcement because you may or may not have known, but lots of people thought that Fantastic Four had reverted back to Marvel. Mm, mm-hmm. a, a lot of people were were like one hundred percent convinced that somehow Fox had let the Fantastic Four rights lapse. That was my favorite pre-show ro- rumor. Or not necessarily let it lapse, but it more or, or less or moved give, into... Or giving it back. Yeah, moved into a Sony agreement, like with Spider-Man Homecoming, essentially. So, yeah, my favorite uh, pre-SDCC rumor was when... Because as you know, they had those uh, statues uh, in front of the Marvel booth. They were covered by... Um, with cloth right and there were for a long time for the first part of the show on preview night there was there there were only four of them and um oh no you're are you not getting us mixed up with d23 which was the week before oh yeah you're right i'm sorry it was d23 yes yeah Yeah, and then they were like no it's the children of thanos right exactly well and when and once once the fifth figure came out they were like, oh, fuck it. Okay, it's the Children of Thanos slash the Black Hand, the Black Guard. Uh, the Call Obsidian. Yeah, yeah, right. Except exactly. now Call Obsidian is the name of one of the characters. Oh, interesting. 
Yeah, they've that. renamed a couple of the characters. Huh. Well, Which is, like, when you look down the list of the characters' names, uh-huh. like, you can tell the ones where John Thickman was totally, like, rocking out, and the ones where he was just like, eh. <laughs> no, because they're like, Proxima Midnight and Supergiant. And you're like, yeah. oh, fucking Supergiant, come on. <laughs> Corvus Glaive and Ebony Maw. And you're like, Ebony Maw, eh. Really? You're not so much an Ebony Maw man. Fascinating. I think Ebony, I think Ebony Maw actually made it through. I think the, the, yeah. the children of Thanos are now... It's definitely Proxima Midnight and Corvus Glaive. There's mm-hmm. one called Call Obsidian now. And right. I think the other one is Ebony Maw. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So really, it was Supergiant. We're the one that's like, eh. Sounds a little weird. Yeah, they're like, come on. Come on, Ebony oh, Maw. Much better. Yeah, and Bob from <laughs> down the way. From accounting. Bob from accounting. So yeah, it's it's uh so anyway, so for people who don't know who missed the whole thing and thank you Graham for recontextualizing it. Yes. Statues up D23 under wraps. There were only four of them and people started to freak out over the idea that that Fox had cut some sort of deal with the FF. And someone really stitched it together with like some sort of craziness about some Spider-Man homecoming rumors and some other stuff about like, like, Ooh, who's purchased Stark tower. And like everyone on Twitter and by everyone on Twitter, I mean like maybe 12 people in this thread that I were following, were just amping themselves up. And then the fifth figure yeah, came I out. Saw, I, saw, I saw a lot of people being like, Oh my God, I can't believe it's true. <laughs> yes. It's like, but it's not true. Literally nothing has happened yet. There's people, and people are like, I got holy shit. And you're like, but nothing happened. Yeah. I want to correct myself, Jeff. It's Panther's Quest that the trade is. Holy shit. Panther's Quest. Like the Marvel. It's the Marvel fan- Comics Presents stuff for oh, me to eat. Oh, you motherfuckers. Cause I've got to get my hands on that shit. Holy yep. crap. 240 wow. pages out January 9th. Son of a bitch. I was hoping they would collect that stuff. God bless Marvel movies for the shit that Marvel's just like, oh, I guess we got to put all a Skull the Slayer into a book now. Ugh. You know, awesome. Just wait. Skull the Slayer is going to show up in, like, Guardians of the Galaxy 3. You know James Gunn grew up in fucking Skull oh, the Slayer. Totally. Listen, I got to say, Skull the Slayer is actually a really weird secret handshake among among – Marvel among nerds among nerds did I told you about this right like there was this once one of one of my best times at San Diego Comic-Con several years back was I ended up walking across the convention floor with Adam Warren who does empowered and who I think quite rightly is a genius because he is a genius and just an incredibly just sort of soft-spoken guy and for whatever reason, I don't remember why he was – anyway, we're walking. He's putting up with my questions, my ridiculous, ridiculous questions. And I did say at one point, I was like, so, uh, you know, I, because I, I, I really loved his Iron Man Hyper Velocity miniseries, which I thought was mm-hmm. really incredibly well done. And, of course, he'd done – live wires and a few other things. And I was like, man, are you, do you have any other Marvel stuff up your sleeve? And he's like, no, not really. He's like, I think the only thing that I'd really want to do for Marvel is this obscure little character, Skull the Slayer. And I was like, oh my God. 
Lord. You know. I love you even more now. I I love you. I love Skull the Slayer. How do you know him? Oh, my God. I love him. And then you know who else was talking uh, about Skull the Slayer as a great. Or uh, Ellis. Was was Ellis talking about him? Is Skull Slayer not in his new universal reboot? Am I making that up? Who cares? Fucking Warren Ellis. I mean, you know, I mean, (laughs) I'm halfway there already, but once you put up new universal, like, I don't fucking care. Like, that guy tried to (laughs) smoke the fucking Marvel handbook, you know, and then, like, whatever pages got caught in his beard, he's like, oh, okay, guess I'm doing a story about Black Knight now. You know, like... Fuck him. No, David Walker. David Walker is actually a Skull the Slayer fan and talks about it on his little page on uh, his his thing of recommendations on Marvel Unlimited. And I was like, I, I that does not surprise me. That that totally makes sense to me. It totally makes sense to me, too, because Skull the Slayer is awesome, Graham. <laughs> it's it's wacky. Uh, you're you're like, it certainly was a comic this. book. Jeff. Ch- Ch- he's called the Slayer, essentially. Yeah. I was like, read this shit, it's awesome! And uh, not only did it crash my Kindle repeatedly, when I read it, I was like, this is the weirdest fucking comic book in existence. Right? It's so strange. It's like it's everything so strange about Marvel 70s in one comic. Especially because the writer changes like every two issues and oh. goes, but wait, here's the story. Yeah. But wait. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three issues by Marv Wolfman. Two issues by Steve Englehart, three issues by Bill Mantlo, and then Marv Wolfman comes back and ties it all off in, in, a, in a Marvel two-in-one, two issues of Marvel two-in-one. And it's just like, and everyone's like, I'm rebooting the series. I'm rebooting the series. I'm rebooting your reboot. Ah, Skull the Slayer. Anyway, so yeah, one of my best con memories. Ah, Skull the Slayer. So yeah, it would not surprise me if Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah, I totally know what you mean. I fully expect that that's... I still haven't seen Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I gotta tell you how ridiculously behind the times... Graham McMillan... Did you see Spider-Man? No, I haven't seen Spider-Man. I have not seen Planet of the Apes. I'm dying here. That's so unusual. Normally you... Normally I would have at least expected you have seen Planet of the Apes. I know, I know. It's killing me that I haven't seen it, and I'm completely traumatized that it's going to leave the theaters before I get my shit together, and that's freaking me out. Which is kind however, of however, listeners, Jeff, why are we recording this three days early? We're recording this three days early because the amazing Hong Kong filmmaker Johnny Toe is coming to San Francisco. The San Francisco MoMA is sponsoring a retrospective of his works. And I tried because it's like 13 movies and I'm like, how am I going to figure out what the fuck to see? And ultimately I ended up picking like the, the, all the stuff that they were showing in 35 millimeter. Cause some of the stuff like drug war, which is an amazing movie. They said something like digital projection. And I was like, you're having a retrospective of Johnny Toe and you're like going to be showing like the fucking DVD of things like kind of like, like put it in, hit play. They're like, Oh, oh hold on. Got to fast forward through this. Oh shit. It's the FBI notice. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. Don't look at the, at the, uh, you know, startup screen. Cause it spoils stuff. Like when the two guys point guns at each other, but um, it's yeah. So that that's true. No, the thing that's crazy, Graham is I've been to the movies like, uh, but, but the problem is, is that like, 
like I said, I said to Edie, I'm like, okay, so are we going to see uh, Spider-Man together or are we just seeing like Planet of the Apes together? And she just actually sighed and was like, ah, I don't, I guess I'll just never see like a real movie ever again. I'm like, what? <laughs> so, <laughs> oh wow. So we saw, we, greatest thing. We, what have we, you seen? We saw The Big Sick, which is quite good. Uh, I've heard it's great. It's great. It really is. It's really, really good. It's a, it's, it's, it's amazing how much, um, just with a few tweaks, like, uh, a, an almost standard rom-com becomes something like really impressively, um, moving and interesting about, you know, about American culture and about the limitations maybe of, of American culture. Just really, really a good film. Uh, we saw Dunkirk last week. Oh. Yeah. She was like, I don't know why. I just really want to see it. And I'm like, uh huh. Did she regret that? Uh, I don't know if regret's actually the right word. Cause when you see it like on the big screen, and I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a big screen. It, it's a big screen movie that you're seeing on the big screen. But, I was, I was kind of weirded out, like, because I just found myself feeling like, like, I literally uh, knew, I think, what David Bowie's The Man Who Fell to Earth felt like as an entity on this planet. Like, there was a point, like, it was, it was maybe like an hour in, and people are just like, explosions are going off, and people are yelling things, and you can't hear it, because of course the sounds cranked so high, like, you can hear every, like, literally when bombs go off, you can, your bowels actually shake inside your body, but then someone says something, and it's like, the beach! You know, and it was like, fuck this. But well, actually, that's a little too extreme. I was just, I was like, I, also, I love you're like, this war movie was uncomfortable, and I, I did not have a smooth experience. Well, no, 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 no. And I mean, that's fine. I, I guess that's what I mean. Is it wasn't like fuck this. It was just more like I, I wasn't after because I mean, you know, bow shaking. I'm, I'm, I'm 50 years old, Graham. I've learned to cope with these sorts of surprises, and I just, I felt like an alien being, like. Huh, this is, I guess, a thing that people engage in, this thing it's called... Like, is this entertainment? Yeah, exactly! I was just... I mean, it just wasn't... It wasn't entertaining. I, I, it wasn't unentertaining. It wasn't... I wasn't feeling like I was learning lessons about war. Or, you know, it starts off with a bunch of stuff with, like, Nolan being, um, you know, doing some really great... And this is the other thing. I don't know if you remember when I was talking about Fury Road and my kind of suspicion that part of the reason why it wasn't so huge in the U.S. is because it didn't have a, a, a lot of dialogue in it. Dunkirk starts off without, without, with like a very large, mostly wordless opening. And it, it keeps the dialogue pretty sparse. Um, and Parmi is like, oh yeah, it's supposed to be this universal cinema. And it's also very much, um, Nolan is really trying to, um, it's, you know, it's a war movie, but it's really a bunch of, a lot of it is very, is sort of chain ganged, um, suspense sequences, you know, just sort of daisy chained together. Uh, but 
I just, I, I was like, God, I just cannot give a shit. Like the effects are, are nice. They're, they're, I mean, it's, there's really just so many just beautiful views of the ocean, but I don't know. I think maybe I'm just turning into just, I don't know. Like I, I really was, I was like, you know, I was watching it and my two thoughts were a, huh, maybe I should rent that planet earth DVD. You know, because if I'm more <laughs> into watching the water than exactly. I am. Isn't the, isn't the water nice? Thought, yeah, the water was gorgeous. Every scene with the water, whenever the water, the water was my favorite character in Dunkirk. You know, it was half the time it's killing people. Half the time it's beautiful and gorgeous and serene. You know, it's just, oh my God. Ah, but, and my other thought was like, this is a really weird remake of Magnolia. You know what I mean? Like that, <laughs> Dunkirk is a weird fucking remake of Manuel, Magnolia. And I was a little weirded out by that. So anyway. I like every time you say Magnolia, you almost say Magnolia. The, Magnolia. The each time. That would be great. Yeah. Paul, Paul uh, Thomas Anderson's uh, remake of The Guy Who Drew Hellboy. Uh, yeah. No, it's just... <laughs> weird it's just a weird but i didn't so yeah i didn't really enjoy it then you heard me of course talk about baby driver where i was like oh the first third okay and then just to make sure that everyone knows that i'm completely unreliable graham i have to tell you at one point with all my copious free time which somehow seemed to dwindle down into like just these little tidal pools of an hour or two you know in between did you go see baby driver again of day. Is what you're me? no no i sat down and i watched uh scott pilgrim Again, which I haven't done since the opening. And I, and I have to say, Graham, and also this is one of those things that I should not necessarily admit on a recordable medium that, you know, will be <laughs> preserved forever, but I may have been a little bit high while watching Scott Pilgrim. And, um. Wait, first time or this time? No, this time. First time, okay. totally straight. And second time when I was watching it, I was just kind of like, just just messed up in the head enough that a i was able to be like what the fuck would someone who's not familiar with the source material think of this movie because it's deeply weird it's like deeply deeply it's a really strange movie if you don't kind of if you don't know the source material and i'm sure probably delightful uh maybe to some but i just sat there being like oh it, it's it's i i love scott pilgrim as you know mm -hmm. but it's it's um it kind of defines esoteric it's, yeah. it's one of those things where you're like i'm not that surprised it was a flop because mm -hmm. why do we think people are going to be okay with this film right Right. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I kind of, I kind of get what you're, well, part of it is, is like, you know, Jojo's Bizarre Adventure is, uh, is a film now by Takahashi Miike. And I've just seen the trailers for that. I'm like, oh my God, this would be a perfect double feature, uh, <laughs> with Scott Pilgrim. Like it would be just between the two. You're just like, okay, reality Wait, is. Warped. Did you enjoy Scott Pilgrim the second time around? I have to say I liked it less and the first time i thought i was pretty coolish about it and this time i'm like you know what i'm far away i haven't reread any of the books i'm far away from it i can see it as its own thing and one of the things that kind of creeped me out because i was high uh i really was able to see like what what totally passed me by the first time is is that um uh Wright and 
God, is it just Wright and Cornish, or is there other filmmakers? There's another filmmaker on there, a screenwriter on there. Uh, um, Michael um, somebody or other? Michael maybe? Bacall. Yeah, Michael Bacall. So Bacall and Wright more or less make it a point to put in the um, the little extra bit that, that, that if you want to watch the movie with the idea that all of the fight scenes in Scott Pilgrim happen inside Scott's head, sort of the, the Leslie Anderson take on it, I guess it's all right there. Like almost, and almost kind of obnoxiously. So like I admittedly, like I said, I think I was just because I was a little altered. I spent way too much time being like, Oh my God, that suture right there is, it's very clear that there's like specific bits and pieces. Um, and also there's just stuff where it's like, right. I feel does stuff that is so clever. Um, that it's, it's almost distracting. Like, I don't know how I missed this, but in the first, the first time, but the second time when, um, uh, Scott is is having his showdown with uh Lucas what's his dingle um Lucas Lee Lucas Lee thank you I was like damn it I should know this Lucas Lee and Lucas Lee sixes stand-ins on uh Scott and so Scott's fighting the stand-ins and they're they're basically kind of kicking him and thwacking him with um skateboards I was like oh motherfucker like Edgar Wright is using a specific sound cue from the attacks of the gangs and the warriors that of course are all dressed exactly the same. And I was like, Oh, that's like, that's funny, but it's also kind of cheap. And it's also kind of, it's the same thing that I just, I don't know when I walked out of baby driver, I was just like, dude, like Quentin Tarantino's already going to like your movie. Like you don't have to make him like love your movie. <laughs> He's going to like your movie. Like, don't go to uh, such great lengths. I'm still not seeing Baby Driver, and you're just putting me off seeing it. It's still playing at a local theater, Jeff. Go don't see it. This. The great – Graham, look at it this way. I've lowered the bar so much, you're going to see it, and you're going to be like, fuck. Jeff, as is usual, is is full of crap. This was great. Just like you love Scott Pilgrim. I watched Scott Pilgrim, and I was just like – didn't I? It's weird. I did not dig it, except um, I very much liked the way that Wright and Bacall structure the when Scott takes his one up and and basically gets a new life and and goes back and gets a chance to redo all the stuff that he did wrong, and that so much of that has to do with him um, emotionally making amends. You know, even the difference mm -hmm. between you know. Scott having earned the power of love and then later he earns the power of self-respect and that's what really allows him to, to win. I was like, oh, this is all, this is th like, that was the one point where I'm like, okay, structurally, that was a better choice. Um, particularly considering the, all the adaptation they had to do. But yeah, at the same time, I still found myself going like, mm, yeah, no, that doesn't, uh, no, no, no. So it was, it was sad. <laughs> Nope, nope. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a good nope. thing you were at San Diego because otherwise, actually, it would have been great if I'd called you in the middle of a panel you were on. And I'm like, Graham, it's Jeff. And I just watched <laughs> Scott Pilgrim. I got to say, the fights are so distracting because you see the suture thing and it's all like, is it in his head or isn't it? But dude, everyone's acting like it is. So it must have. But then why did they put uh, here, that here's in the there? Thing. You're actually making me want to watch this film again. <laughs> 
I'm not joking. No, I'm sure I'm not. I'm sure I'm not. I'm. Oh no, what? Jeff, Jeff, yes. Jeff, yes. Jeff, yes, Prem. You're gonna have to tell me about the comics you've read because we're only got like half an hour left in the episode. Oh, holy crap! Yes. Come well, on. right. Let's. let's I, I've told you something I read. I want to get back to something else I've read, but it's something you've read, and I want us to talk about it. But first of all, you tell me things you've read. Ah, uh, okay. Well, um. Uh, I, I read the, uh, Commandy Challenge issue seven, which was the one by Marguerite Bennett, I think, and Dan Jurgens on the art. And although I did not care for, and, and Klaus Jansen inking, amazingly enough, and I did not really care for the art much, although there's a few nice touches and pieces, but I was really pleasantly surprised by how much I thought that Marguerite Bennett came came weirdly the closest to doing Jack Kirby while also kind of doing her own thing. Like there was just something about her issue. Like, like for example, Bill Willingham clearly has read Kirby, loves Kirby, did a lot of Kirby-esque stuff in his issue, but he also kind of dragged it out in a way that is very much not Kirby. And... Commandy Challenge issue seven was so overstuffed. I was very much like, oh, this is, you know, this really made me feel the way that a Kirby comic could, that, that this is going to have all kinds of, you know, like, you know, Bennett just seems like way too overly fond of her disposable characters. Again, in a way that Willingham seemed very into his like tiger private detective or whatever, but, but she somehow manages to do more with that affection in a way that I was kind of like, oh, interesting. And, and yet she's also doing a lot of meta humor in there that's kind of, um, broad, you know, like somebody's like, oh, that's why you're the supporting character, you know, or, or the, I think she jokes about all the women who've been fridged up until then, you know, and it's kind of like, hmm. But she also, she had a pacing thing as well mm-hmm. that every like three or four pages, there'd be a full page splash and it'd be like a moment. Yes. And that, that felt very Kirby-ish to me. It, me too, in a way that, that worked. Like there was one that was just sort of a typical group reveal where I'm like, eh, I think Kirby would have jammed that into a quarter page. But there were a lot of big beats where she went big on it or she and Jurgens went big on it. Cause I, it would not surprise me, even though Jurgens isn't necessarily my cup of tea. I, I think it's pretty safe to say he's probably looked at, read a lot of Kirby in his time. So. Oh, holy shit. Yeah. If the, the, um, Booster Gold's convergence issues mm. were clearly a sign that he's 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 studied his Kirby. Right, exactly. So I I want to make sure that I I share the love there. But uh, so that quite interesting. Um, I you know it's a follow up on 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 Jeff's thirsty reading of 2017. I ended up picking up the book Yes Roya uh, based on a review that Erica Moen gave it on Ojoy Sex Toy. So people who oh, are I remember, I remember that review. She, yeah. Yeah. She really liked it and she said some stuff mm-hmm. about like, hey, this this is, you know, smut, but it's got character stuff and it moves the story forward. It's written by C. Spike Trotman and drawn by Emily Denich and it's published by um, Spike's Iron Circus Comics. Uh, I picked up a copy on Comixology. 
it is uh you have to be very into mmf scenes for the sex scenes to to like do anything for you but the story itself about about um what's the word uh, a new struggling comic strip cartoonist who ends up being taken uh under the wing by a successful um cartoonist and then the woman behind the scenes it's 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 a it's a very um it's a very decent story like the story really does have like it was kind of like yeah i would gladly read another story set in the smut verse with these smutty characters but <laughs> there's a there it's like i said there's the smut verse yeah the smut cinematic universe Jeff. <laughs> sounds good to me it's fine until you know scott <laughs> snyder is like oh but what about the dark smut verse i'm just taking this smut verse and i'm turning it over and then boom what happens now people oh, people fall asleep i guess i don't oh, know no no. <laughs> so, uh, what else did I read? I realized I was desperately far behind on uh, Shaolin Cowboy, so I picked up the, um, I think I picked up those issues during one of the SDCC sales. Oh, and that is actually something that I need to tell you, Graham, and the listeners, because I expect you to hold me to it. I am continuing to buy uh books through comicsology that i'm subscribed to and i reserve the right to subscribe or buy new comics as they come out since i'm not making it into the comic store but i am not buying any more books on sale until i've caught up on the books that i've already bought on sale um next episode jeff goes back on that because there's probably a great sale of comics oh man. let me yeah let me tell you not only did like like I think, as I told Graham, who mocked me, like, I had made this vow, and then Fanagraphics did a Comixology sale, which is really rare for them, and I dropped, like, way too much money. Um, and then, honestly, I also, like... What I love about that is, you actually didn't tell me that, but I'm not surprised. I, d- I thought I did. Oh, okay, well, that's fine. Because you, you literally, <laughs> your reply was, all caps, stop buying books, Jeff! So, uh, I'm not. You know, about something else. <laughs> God, it probably was. Jesus. Okay. So, and the worst part is, is then after that, then Avatar had its 75% off sale. And then I was like, okay. In all seriousness, what did you need to buy from Avatar? I, there are. Oh, but they all Alan Moore stuff, don't they? Yeah. I bought, I bought, I bought all of Providence for something like, I don't know. It ended up being something like $15. Oh, and then I, I picked up the Cinema Purgatorio stuff because, uh. Because there are so, um, people on our comments threads, and I apologize, guys, for forgetting who. A few people mentioned, among other things, very much liking uh, Gillen's work in Cinema Purgatorio. So I was like, given eh. who you are in Gillen normally, I'm surprised you went for it. You know, honestly, I was like, it was it was so stupidly cheap at 75% off. I was like, okay, I'll buy all this stuff. I want to support it. I mean, the thing that's stupid is is that uh, there's a few of these issues that I already have from back. Fortunately, it didn't let me buy it twice. That I already had from, from like, old sales. <laughs> from backing it on Kickstarter, which is just the worst. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I, I'm basically just a, a money sieve. Uh, 
I read two oh, wait, issues. But yes? before you move, before you move on, it, yep. you just reminded me. One of the actual comics announcements at San Diego this year was the final League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is yet another Alan Moore retires from comics comic. Mm-hmm. But this time, Kevin O'Neill is apparently retiring from comics <laughs> He's as well. Taking Kevin O'Neill with him. <laughs> Did you like? Did you see that announcement or not? I did that, see that, that they're announcement. Both, yeah. That they're both saying it's their final comic, and also you can totally tell that Alan Moore wrote the announcement because it's so self-conscious. It's hilarious. I've got to have to see if I can find the press announcement for it. Oh, come on! Don't let me down. This is when I find out I deleted it, and I won't be able to have it anymore. Ah, yeah, it's. I probably did because it's. I think I did as well because that was the mail yeah, from uh, Top Shelf or whatever. Yep. Um, got it. Is Chris Starros still doing those? Let's see. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, oh yeah, go out with a bang. Um, no, no, but it says the thing the about Tempest. it's got the whole thing about. Uh, I'm trying to find the actual press release, and I can't. This is really annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, because the actual press release goes on about how it is, uh, he's finally leaving, uh, a medium intended for dim wit, like half wits and children or something like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, and it's, it's, it, it, honestly, I read that and I was like, oh shit, Alan Moore has so many issues that he clearly wrote this. Yeah. Where is that? Uh, that's really annoying. Yeah, that's right. The world's most accomplished and bad tempered artist writer team. Yep. Will use their most stylistically adventurous outing yet to display the glory glories of the medium they are leaving. Uh, yeah. To demonstrate the excitement that attracted them to the field to the first place, and to analyze critically and entertainingly the reasons for their departure. So, yeah. Wait, uh, do you actually have the the, the thing right I, there? I think so, although I can't find the part where he talks about the half wits or whatever. Uh, oh yes, Commenc- commencing as a six-issue run of unfashionable, fashionable, outmoded, outmoded, and flimsy children's comics that will make you appear emotionally backwards if you read them on the bus. <laughs> Alan Moore really does have issues. <laughs> I, I kind of love it. <laughs> oh man, it's so funny. Um, it's almost like he read absolutely none of those bang pow comics just aren't for kids anymore articles that <laughs> that he himself was the subject of i mean it's like come on move but like move on. but at this but in all seriousness like at this point to, to be putting that in it's like i know he's trying to be funny but it's somehow not funny and just sad well i don't know about it. it's sad but it's not it's not funny you know what i mean like i'm like alan moore like i don't know about you but i sit next to 60 year old women playing candy crush you know what I mean? Like, comic books look like, you know, I'm fucking reading the <laughs> Encyclopedia Britannica compared to what most people are doing on their phones on the bus now. And that's the thing. I was like, I read that. I was like, does Alan Moore not take the bus anymore? Like, what the fuck? Doesn't. He pr- no, I'm sure he doesn't. He either he gets to walk everywhere or I don't know. You know, he's... I, I, honestly, I honestly just assume that he's a shut-in. Oh no, he's he walks around all over. You don't keep a beard like that if you're not going to terrify children. Believe me. To Grant. be fair, I was going to say you are the one with the beard, so <laughs> you would know. See, there you go. We both dash. It's like a photo finish across the punchline. Yeah, no, but I don't know. It would be great. Like when I found out that Alan Moore had like 
you know, like dug out the basement under his house and it turned it into like his own special temple for Glycon. And you see him with the rings and stuff. Wouldn't it be great if he just had a snake mobile? Like it would be so awesome. You know, he doesn't <laughs> oh have God, it. But be the what, what would be genuinely great is if Alan Moore just has declared himself that he's Cobra. Oh, yeah. Like the DC villain created by Kirby. That would be great. Like he's just got the entire way and he's like, yeah, this is why I'm so self-conscious about comics, you guys, because I actually think I am Cobra. <laughs> and then he hops in his little uh, snake car, like, <laughs> beep, beep, bring, and it slithers down the road. Come on, that would be the best. That would be the absolute best. Uh, and you know, I, oh, Jeff, but Jeff, he does that, and then he pulls off the beard, and he has a little, like, pointy beard instead. Oh, and yeah. the big beard has always been in disguise. <laughs> oh, man. That would be great. That would be pretty excellent. I gotta say. Alan, if you're listening, and let's be honest, you almost certainly are. <laughs> that, you go out, that's the retirement. And then go straight from there to a comic convention. You know, I mean, the thing that's really sad is is that I'm sure if Alan Moore listened to this, being the of the passive-aggressive sort that he is, he'd just, I don't know, you know, break his little snake walking stick over one knee and is like, I'm done enough for you people. Like, you know, I mean, let's face it, the guy really really embrace the eccentricity he was like i'm gonna bring it i'm gonna bring it and we're like oh man we're, no we're telling him to bring it we're saying bring it more that's what i'm saying we're telling him he's not bringing it enough that's how that's how he's going to read it he's like Ugh. I'm, no you know what i'm gonna stick i'm gonna stick with that i think alan Moore has not brought it enough lately omg graham OMG. What, what, what absolutely nuts thing has Alan Moore done in the last, in the last five years? He's settled down. He's, he's become like the, the grand old curmudgeon of comics. I don't know. I, do, I, I, I mean, I, I'm, well, okay. First off, we don't see him walking around town, so we don't know what the hell he might be wearing. I mean, so, I think it. he's wearing like a big old black overcoat. Well, maybe, yeah, right. And probably a scarf, some Doc Martens, right. And that's all anyone sees. Yeah. And then he'll go and make more of the films that he remember. He was making films for ages. Yeah, like and, and there always be the story in Bleeding Cool, and it'd always be like, and it's a prostitute or a stripper, and it's a prostitute or stripper, but it's their inner life, and it's another film, and it's a prostitute or stripper and their inner life. And I could never tell if it was the same film or if it was multiple films. Was he that? Because they were like, it's part of a sequence, and you're like, is it though? Is it the same? I genuinely can't tell. I Are mean, you doing like, what? Let's but face it. No, he's doing I, okay. that, and he's hanging over the, the back of it like a blonde woman's like okay. she's reading something, and he's reading that. But that's it. Like I'm not. I want. I want Alan Moore to be like one last moment of absolutely balls out insanity. Okay. First off, Graham, I think you really are forgetting how he dressed for his own wedding, and not many people, including I, him, are going to be able I, to top that. Hey, Jeff, not only have I forgotten, I don't think I know. Oh, you didn't see how he was – here, let's see if we can, like – let's just Google Alan Moore uh, wedding photo, and let's see if it's on there, because it's okay. – Is this to, to uh, who is, um, he's oh, got a blue top hat. Yeah. No, a blue bowler hat. Yeah, the blue bowler uh, hat. 
He he and Melinda Gebby actually looks okay, frankly. I'm just like, huh, that looks yeah, I was gonna say. well. Yeah, yeah. He, he seems to like be a slightly jolly man at a Ren fair. Like I <laughs> I'm not seeing anything completely over the top. Damn it, I don't know. Maybe they maybe they color corrected the bowler because at did, the time did, I did was you, like, yeah, did you, I was gonna say, it's too much it being better. Yeah, I'm kind of like. Oh, it's, oh, but I have found another great photo on the image search, which. I take it all back. Alan Moore seems to really like wearing green, like, jackets. It's a, it looks like it's a Dodgem Logic event, and he's wearing what looks like a green velour dressing gown that the inside of it is bright pink. So, okay, I take it back. He's much more colorful than I thought. Have you, oh my god, have I killed you? You've disappeared, Jeff. Oh, I just muted myself. God damn this stupid thing. Anyway, yes. <laughs> um, also, I'm seeing lots of other photos. How old is Alan Moore? He's not young. He's, well, I mean, he's, I mean, depending on how you think of it, he's somewhat young. Isn't he like 15, 18 years older than us? Or than I, sorry, in 20? Uh, yeah, he's, he's 22 years old. He's, no, he's 21 years old than me. He's, he's um... He was born in 53, so he's 63 years old. Yeah, 63 years old. So, you know, he's not young. But yeah, definitely he, he, he grayed up. So at some points he does. He, he, well, yeah, he, it's just, you know, there, there's definitely photographs here which, shall we say, are not flattering. Yes. Like, yeah, make him look like, you know, he's, he's been sick. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say he's been Steve Bannon, but let's go with he's been sick. He's been sick of comics. Uh, yeah, um... It's like, he's been sick of DC! <laughs> well, he should be sick of DC, let's face it. But let's not get into that. <laughs> uh, what else did I read? Uh, Graham, I can't talk about it now because we have to save it for the podcast. But when I was, like, plowing through shit, I read most of Starbrand New Universe Volume 1, but I didn't finish. And, of course, at one oh, point... Oh, yeah. no, we're going to do that. Not next week, because next week's a box building. The yeah. week after that... We yes. are definitely doing a fucking Star Brands episode, Jeff. Yeah. And not next week, because next week, I believe, is the skip week for Jeff's operation. But the, you is know. It? Yeah. Oh, god damn it. Sorry, man. Uh, so, it's just, uh, August, I, the, to be fair, we did know August was going to be nuts. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. Yes. Yep. But mm-hmm. no, we are definitely going to do a Star Brands episode, because yeah. Jeff. Yes. No, Graham. I know, right? right? Holy shit. Reading a bunch of those at a go is like, holy shit. Uh, interestingly enough, I also ended up reading, uh, Benjamin Mara's American Blood, which is, um, definitely, it's a collection of Mara's, um, work that he published himself under, I think, the traditional comics banner, uh, including like two issues of Gangster Rap Posse and, uh, his crazy, his crazy barbarian comic, his crazy, super crudely drawn children's TV show comic that seems like he's trying to out Johnny Ryan, Johnny Ryan. And then, you know, the extreme adventures of Marino Dowd. A lot of, a lot of stuff, stuff that's very, um, interesting and also distressing. Like I think Mara's whole point is to try and recapture a certain um vitality, I suppose, of sort of the crude and amateurish, you know, like 
there's something like it's not really – he's like, I'm not doing outsider art because I know my influences. But at the same time, it's packed full of uh, – somebody the other day – God, I wish I knew who was talking about how they felt that be, that um, because of social media, a lot of comic artists had gotten a lot less um, transgressive, that the transgression – in today's comics is actually pretty much weak sauce, which may just be people being nostalgic for their libertine pasts, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is something about Mara's work that is very, um, which rightfully has been derided by a lot of people, I think, for being, for the, 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 non-ironic, ironic racism of gangster rap posse or a lot of the other stuff that seems to be mitigated by him being like, no, 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 like, look, I, I hate everyone and everything and I'm making fun of everything and it's all just transgression. Oh, right. He, he did Lincoln, Washington, free man, which is just a terrible, um, I'm surprised people weren't, uh, publishing panels of that after, uh, the Game of Thrones guys had mentioned announced they were doing confederacy which oh boy those guys um <laughs> so yeah little bits of little bits of things but not a lot of two issues of walking dead and god help me i enjoyed them so again as everyone knows from listening to me for a while please ignore jeff's opinions thank you very much <laughs> the jeff but yes. jeff manga poverty is that what it's called Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Man- manga poverty, or, or yeah, shit. That's right. It's you called manga poverty. Am uh, I, hold on, I'm, I'm looking at it. No, 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 no. Will manga exist ten years from now? Manga poverty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. That's a depressing book. Also, he's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Listeners may or may not remember because it has been like three weeks since the last episode. I totally but forgot. Jeff. Yeah. Jeff was reading. Manga Poverty, mm-hmm. uh, and told me I should read it. Yeah. And what Manga Poverty is, is it's a book by the guy who created Blackjack. Uh, uh, not quite. Is it not? No, it's... Oh, the, uh, the, the guy who wrote Blackjack or worked or He definitely... Oh, no. Give my regards to Blackjack. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. So... Um, about how manga is a dying industry, mm-hmm. and which then pivots into... His plan to save manga by doing it digitally and is like the first half of it really is genuinely depressing because he's basically like, Oh no, this, this industry is dying. Yeah. Like no one can make any money that everyone is, is basically losing money in order to work in manga, all including the creators, including the publishers. Right. You do not have the rights you think you have. You're basically fucked. Mm-hmm. And then the second half of it becomes this weird, almost comedy about this inept man being like, but the internet will save everything. P.S. I know nothing about the internet. <laughs> and you didn't tell me about that second half and so when it was happening, I was like, what has happened to this book? <laughs> well, it's a very interesting book in that re- in that way, right? Because you realize how much the first part of it is, like the whole thing becomes a kind of... Um, I think he mentions it sounds it like it grew out of a series of essays that he was writing for the blog for the manga website that he was running at one point. And, 
and so there's a way in which it sort of feels like kind of a calculated marketing pitch. By the time you get to the end of it, you're like, oh, my goodness, I've got to support this and go to this, you know, Japanese website in order to get all this untranslated manga. Interestingly enough, the guy who who translated this, uh, Dan Lafferty, um, there is a, an American equivalent of this, basically. Uh, sorry, Dan Lafferty. Sorry, Dan Luffy uh, also did the translations of Give My Regards to, to Blackjack. On a manga site that I forget is called something like Translating Manga or Manga Translation or something. And it's, it essentially takes Shuho's model and does it, like, interestingly enough, Shuho's next step is he basically opened up his work to amateur, um, translators and is like, essentially, translate my books, publish them on the site, on, on the American version of this site, and you get a cut of the profits. So Luffy did translation for all of Give My Regards to Blackjack, the digital editions, which is interesting because I believe they were also being published in print by Kodansha. Um, and then as well as a variety of other works by Shuho. Like if you, the stuff that Shuho talks about, if you go on Amazon and look at it, it's... You can get digital copies of it, which is very strange. Anyway, sorry. So, yeah, it's it's kind of depressing and fascinating uh, in that first half, right? I mean, admittedly, if you want to focus on the crazy co- comedy part of the second half, that's also pretty amazing as well. But um, for me, I think for someone for whom uh, the whole manga industry, it seems like over the last 10 years, ever since it broke big – um, you know, post 2000 with, with Tokyo pop and stuff. So many people have been saying like, we just have to do what the Japanese do. We just have to do it on the Japanese. Oh, model. there's especially in the internet in the last month. Mm-hmm. There's been so many people being like, well, my goal is save everything. And you're like, but no. Yeah. Yeah. And then you read this book and you're like, really not. It's like, yeah. it's a terrible system. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's a terrible system in the way that it treats its creators, which is exactly the thing that, you know, I did, did not want. Um, you know, I, I mean, the thing that I most want to want the American comics industry to change. And then when you look at this, the amount in which, um, artists go into debt on their own cost of living, saying nothing of the, the amount of work they have to do, which is a whole other thing. But yeah, it, it's, it's astounding. It really is. You, we will work you to the bone and you will actually end up paying us for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane, right? All with the, you know, the, but maybe your thing will be a hit, in which case you'll be able to pay off your debt. Yeah. Not even you'll be a success. You'll be able to pay off the debt you'll have gotten working on this in the first place. Yeah. It's nuts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so yeah, just kind of an eye-opening book. So overall, are you glad you read it, I guess? Um. Yeah, but I kind of wish the second half didn't exist. Oh, interesting. Where I found just... the first half far more rewarding than the second half. The second half, first half was eye-opening and yes. kind of shocking, to be perfectly yeah. honest. Yep. Um, and and really depressing. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. it really is, like, it really is sad that yeah. the, the the way the industry, quote-unquote, works when it's working mm-hmm. is to utterly 
take advantage of the of its creators mm-hmm. in a way that seems even like the American industry takes advantage less. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I and that's the part that I found surprising. Right. That I was like, well, you know, I almost feel like the American system treats its creators better, which <laughs> huh. must be wrong. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, um, yeah. And, and so it was genuinely like that was that entire thing I just tore through. And then honestly, the second half when he's like, and then I decided I'll make a website. Uh, it became entertaining, but also kind of frustrating. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like the the urgency of the first half just wasn't present in the second at all. Yes. Uh, and it just was like, and here's a wacky Mr. Bean type character. Mm-hmm. Trying to make a website. And it, <laughs> yeah, and it was like, mm, okay then. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, that makes sense. Um, the second half, of course, I find kind of interesting because, um, just because of some of the various challenges involved. I guess I, I know what you mean by the wacky part of things, but it also has a very brutal bit where he 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 decides that he's going to sell his his books. Oh yeah, that that's a fascinating part. Yeah, and then he basically was told by the publishers, "Oh, they're not your books." Yeah, they're not your books, which actually does the way they explain it. I'm like, yeah, that's horrible, but I also get it. But the, the thing that's amazing though is like they offer to give him like a ten percent discount or twenty percent discount on his own books, and afterwards, and I think this is part of the reason why he plays up the Mister Bean side of things is is there's parts where he talks about. Essentially how embarrassed and how ashamed he is, like, by how, how much, how his pub, the publishers are speaking to him like a child, essentially. And, uh, he just gets, you know, I feel like a lot of that, a lot of the second half of the book is kind of this attempt to, I mean, A, chronicle what he was doing and make it ins- instructive, but, you know, but to take some of the pain off of it, I think a little bit, which I can see why I can see what what you say by it sort of mitigating the effects, especially the first first half. Yeah, I, I, a part of it is also uh, I read the first half before San Diego, and I read the second half after. Mm, right. Whereas I think, and that was, I mean, it was literally yeah. just like that's how it happened. It wasn't a, a decision. Right. Um, but. But the first half really hit me in a way that the second half just didn't. Yeah. And it could be if you read it all at a go, it feels a little bit different. But I can actually see your point, and, and I think I think there's some truth to it. I, I It's definitely, I think, almost required reading just for the, the first half. Well, yeah, I, I was going to say that. So I, I got it at least. I don't know how you read it, but I got it on Kindle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, your, I, your suggestion. Mm-hmm. And it's not that expensive, I seem to remember in Kindle. Yeah. And basically anyone who's interested in the business side of comics and is curious about manga, it really is a must read. Yeah. I think so too. I think it's only something that, like $3.99 or something. Yeah. But that first half is amazing. Yeah. It absolutely is. It's two ninety nine, in fact. So yeah, it's it, it it is that first half is is an is blistering. So uh, I will definitely put a link in the show notes, and people should check it out. I think. And Graham, that puts us, I think, right right up against it, right? 
Yes, let's let's actually yeah, let's let's call it because both of us have work tomorrow. It's a school night. It is a school night, my goodness. Um so I will say we're not back next week. That's right. So actually we should check this. We should check that we're not. We should check when your your I know I'm your thing actually is. <laughs> my, my, you know you're not? Yeah, I my my thing is next Friday the eleventh and I'm going to be Yeah, you're you're not going you're not going to be in any state I, to do anything. I really don't think so, yeah. So yeah. we will be back so, in two uh, weeks. In two weeks with mm-hmm. a Baxter building. Yes. Uh, it will, at that point, it's very funny. The last time we did a Baxter building, it was only three weeks between them. And this time it's going to be close to two months. Yeah, exactly. We're just going to be like, who's this Fantastic Four again? I don't understand. Yeah, so. We're doing the last issues of the Burn Fantastic Four. I know, that's kind of a shocker to me. It'll be really we're interesting. Doing, it's 285 to 295, I think we're doing. I think so. Do you want to? Uh, yeah. If you stall stall it for is. us, and no, all it is. Later. It's oh. two eighty five. It's two eighty five to two ninety five. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's that's going to be a big deal. But that's two weeks. Uh, until then, this is when I tell you that there will be show notes for this episode and every episode. Asterisk. Since we did a relaunch a couple of years ago, so, like close asterisk. Um, at waitwatpodcast.com. There is also a Tumblr at waitwatchpods.tumblr.com where I post absolutely random things, bits and bobs from what I've been reading on the comics internet, and maybe Jeff will do the same when he's recovering from surgery. Yeah. And I, meds. We can only hope. I'm, I'm hoping. Uh, we also have a Twitter at waitwatchpodcasts. Jeff has a Twitter at lazybassid at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I have a Twitter at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. I always forget the last name. <laughs> and at Jeff's Twitter, please make a point of wishing him good luck in his surgery on Aww. the, you said it was the 11th? Yes. Uh, we also have a Patreon. This is a Patreon-supported podcast. And because I've said the magical word Patreon, Jeff has something to tell you. Yes, I, I do. We are so grateful to uh, all of our fine listeners who um, continue to, to make this long, long voyage worthwhile. I mean, at least for me, I'm sure Graham's kind of hoping that I die and I could be replaced with someone else. But that's the great thing about surgery. It may happen. Uh, oh, God, don't <laughs> say that. I realized I was like, oh, this is bad. I'm going down this road. I got to go down here, but Graham's just going to be mortified. So, yeah. Anyway, this would be horrible. Just imagine if this happens. Boy, everybody, if it does, you've got a great pull quote. There's Jeff being all glib, like, oh, he died. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, it's my, my sad duty to tell you that we recorded this two weeks ago, and since then, I've said it was Oh my god! Shut up! <laughs> Finish your Patreon spiel. Yes, anyway, so we are super grateful to all of our listeners, but we have to say that we uh, owe a huge debt of gratitude to the wonderful group of people at, at Patreon uh, for throwing us a little bit of cash here and there. Uh, which managed to keep us, uh, motivated and, um, allow me to stay out of comic book related debt. And, um, we're, but only just, 
Oh, uh, God, this month it's shockingly close. We, we're thankful to all of them, but especially, uh, to the kind crew at the American Ninth Art Studios, as well as Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. Um, their continuing support of this podcast is very much appreciated, as is their, um, uh, continuing mercy towards our celestial existence. Thank you. Graham? I like what you're doing with that, Nigel. <laughs> <laughs> we will be back in a couple of weeks. Uh, Jeff will be minus uh, an important bodily organ. What? I, I'm going to try and... <laughs> Graham, what kind of... Do you know something I don't? Because that's not... I'm not having something removed. I just want to say, like, okay, I got to say, me dying, I have no problem with that, but this whole thing you were going with, I'm like, what? Jeff. Anytime you have surgery, they take something out. That's just what happens. I guess they... Uh, are they... I mean, not really. <laughs> like, for yours, not, not really. I was about to say, I think mine or isn't. It's, it's, it's kind of... I was going to go into far too much detail there. <laughs> Nobody needs to hear that in the podcast. Yeah, they're going to they're going to just rearrange things inside you. Yeah, basically, but it's it's more of a joke when you say that when someone has surgery, they're always taking something out. <laughs> Never mind. Jeff will be here with all of his major bodily organs. I, I who knows? I might have extra. I might have gotten rid of a few. Who can tell? In two weeks, you should come back and find out. Though we'll be yes. talking Fantastic Four. Until then, bye.